This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have David Curry on the line, President and CEO of Open Doors USA. How you doing today, David? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. And you obviously have a very busy week uh, this week because your organization has released its annual World Watch list. And um, this is a list that ranks the top 50 countries in the world where it is um, an awful place to be a Christian. And, um, you know, I'm fascinated by this. We regularly cover it over at theblaze.com. And I just, I guess to jump in on this, uh, because you've had, how many how many years actually have you guys been doing this now? It's been about 25 years that Open Doors has been studying the trends in, in persecution of Christians. And that's because we are in and amongst trying to support Christians wherever they're at. And as a natural part of our work in some of these most difficult countries, some people will remember Open Doors started behind the Iron Curtain smuggling Bibles. Uh, as part of our work, we wanted to know where where is our work most needed? What's happening? How is persecution different in North Korea than than in Africa in, than in the Middle East? So we began to study uh, what the trends were, how the persecution was different, and that's how the world watched us came about. Yeah, that's that history is good to know because you now have had obviously more than two decades of experience and in trends and seeing sort of how this dynamic unfolds. And I think it's it's especially fascinating in America where I think a lot of people don't realize what it's like to be a Christian other places because our version of, you know, persecution here, which I'm not diminishing it, um, although it does diminish when you compare it to other forms of persecution, you know, we can have fights about Bibles and schools and things like that, and, and that's all legitimate, but but what is going on in, in these countries is is absolutely awful and, and horrifying, and we see some of that play out um, on the news. But you guys are measuring this now. How do you go about measuring? And I know it must change per country. So how do you how do you gather the metrics for this? Well, one thing to know about the World Watch List that is different than, say, the Pew Research Center uh, statistics that came out on persecution is that the World Watch List starts at the grassroots level. So we're there on the ground in these countries talking to pastors, talking to people who've been affected by these incidents. Now, the, those stories help, first of all, bring bring you know some humanity to statistics. So when you hear that 71 over 7100 people were martyred for their faith this year, we get to know who those people are. We want to know their stories. We want to talk to their families. So we started the grassroots level and that way the world watch list is the most trusted source on persecution and it's it's the one closest to the people. So we're not just talking to bishops within a large region in the Middle East. We're talking to the people affected by it. We're getting the statistics and we're right there at the grassroots level. How, I mean, how long does that take? What, what is that process like? I would imagine, I mean, because you're going into all these countries, you have people on the ground, you're, is this, I mean, is this something like when you release the report this year, will it take another 12 months to get the data? You know, how does, I guess, how does that process play out in practical terms? Because I would imagine it's very complicated. Well, the, the process takes all year long, and we have an entire research team that does this. It's integrated with what we know is happening in the field, so it's not to say that uh, researchers are the only part of this, but we, we absolutely have people working year-round, and we 
measuring period is about the end of October. So at the end of October, we stop what we're doing. We begin to count what's happened so we can release it here in January. And But but as soon as you know, uh, it becomes November, then we start talking about the list for next year and collecting data, researching stories, uh, knowing, knowing if somebody says somebody is been executed if they read about the paper we don't we don't just collect news stories we have to go there we have to talk to people we have to find out what happened when we talk about uh, martyrdom when you say 7100 over 7100 people were killed this year for their faith that means that we know that faith was the determining factor we're not talking about christians killed in a larger civil war like in syria people, you know, in some sort of military battle. This this is where Christians were executed for their faith. So you have to get in and research and find out what's going on. Yeah, let me let me ask you this, and I and I don't know if this is an easy question for you to respond to, but what was the most shocking factor in this year's list when you had the results and you were able to see them? Um, and I know it's a wide open question, but I guess I'll just throw that out to you because I would imagine things stick out to you every year more, more so than other elements. So what would that be for you, the most shocking piece? Well, I think what people need to understand is that the World Watch List, this 2016 World Watch List, shows that the persecution of Christians is at an unprecedented rate that we haven't seen really since the first century church. That's how dramatic it is. So the, the big uh, punch in the gut is that all of the trends for the last three years show a doubling in the number of martyrs this year. It's like almost 40% over the year before. The year before, it had doubled. So you're seeing this massive jump in persecution over the last three or four years, the unprecedented spread and intensity that we haven't seen in a long, long time. So that's the first shocking thing. But Billy, there's also some trends in there that I think portend for some difficulty ahead. And the first one is that we notice in the statistical evidence that the extremists, this is Islamic extremists, are solidifying their their foothold in, in many regions and spreading. And this isn't just a statement on the Islamic State, although certainly, uh, if you were to talk to people 18 months ago, they might have said, well, Islamic State, you know, eventually that territory is going to get taken back and so forth. But we know now that that's solidifying. They're spreading. They're going into Libya. They're looking to metastasize into into other regions and take these lone wolf uh, extremists and try to incorporate them into what they're doing. But it's also in Nigeria, in Africa, through Boko Haram, which is an affiliate now with Islamic State. They're extremists, Islamic extremists. They're going into Niger. They're going into Niger. They're trying to get into Chad. They're trying to control a caliphate that includes all of the northern part of Nigeria into Niger, which has a lot of, um, you know, it doesn't have a lot of Christians, but northern uh, Nigeria certainly does. There are 25 million Christians in the northern part of Nigeria that are basically second-class citizens. That foothold is strong and it's solidified, and they're trying to spread. So that's a major thing that's showing up in, in the data this year, and there are others as well, but that, I hope that gives you some idea. Yeah, no, no, it does. And I mean, in looking in looking at the list too, what were the biggest movers in terms of you know th- those that maybe moved into the top ten or moved up in the top ten? And obviously, moving up in the top ten is not a good is not a good thing. If you're number one, it means you're the worst place um, in the world to be a Christian, essentially. Uh, so, what were, what were some of those big movers that uh, were surprising as well? 
Well, Eritrea is 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 a country that was number nine last year. It's number three. Eritrea is not a country a lot of people know about, but it's one of these uh, pariah states. It's a rogue state where this, the government itself is is run by Islamic extremists. They're using the entire uh, power of the government, the judicial system, the police force to to make life very difficult for Christians, imprisoning them in very inhumane ways, uh, imprisoning, imprisoning them in shipping containers in 100 plus degree heat. We, we see many, many Christians who lose their life just from being imprisoned. So you have uh, Eritrea is somebody, a, a country that I think people need to watch. Uh, on, on the list of persecutors. I think another story is Pakistan. There's a lot that happened this year in Pakistan that, that has made it move. It's number six this year. But you have a country there that, that has had brutality on an unusual level. Mob violence against Christians this year. Uh, one couple in particular was thrown into a kiln and burned alive for their faith because they decided to be followers of Jesus. That sort of thing happening violent outbreaks in Pakistan, I think, is, is, is very significant. But the, the other thing is, as far as movies, it's how, it, it, it's how hard it is, how, how bad it has to be for somebody to stay in the top ten. You have a country like Somalia, which dropped to number seven. Previously, it was number two. It, Somalia is exceptionally inhospitable to Christians. You have the Al-Shabaab, an extremist group, that is persecuting Christians. I was just there along the Somali border in Kenya visiting Garissa and was surrounded in that area by Al-Shabaab folks. And I can tell you, it's very difficult. Yet, even with all the persecution that's gone on there, it's grown in Somalia, but they still dropped on the list. So that would be true on the entire list. It's harder to get on the list. It's, it's, it's harder to... You have to be more heinous in your crimes to say the top ten. You know, one of the things that obviously, and this is uh, going to be a subject in the 2016 election, it's something that there's been quite a bit of controversy about. You know, when you start to get into Islamic extremism and you start to talk about that, people, some people get very uncomfortable because what terms do you use and, uh, you know, do you call them Muslim groups, do you not? Um, when I ask you this question, and I think I know the answer, but I'm just going to ask it, you know, for confirmation and maybe I'm wrong. When you look at a force, a single force or a single group across the world that shows up the most in these countries, what is that force or that group? Well, certainly a large portion of the countries that are listed on the on the world watch list, the, the factor that's driving it is Islamic extremism. Now, you have countries like North Korea at the top of the list, which is a totalitarian government, a cult-like system. You have other countries on the list that would not, you know, not be there, like Colombia and Mexico, which are at the bottom, towards the bottom of the list, and it's the drug cartels attacking pastors and priests in Chiapas and killing them because they stand in the way of the cartels. But here's what you have to understand about the term Islamic extremism. You have to identify that it is within the realm of Islam, because to say that it's not suggests that there's nothing you could do as a Muslim. To, to, to fight this theology of death. And we know that there is something that can be done. Moderate Muslims are standing up, and, and I think I'm hoping for growth in that and, and protecting Christians in some cases. Just last week, you know, we saw the story of, of a Muslim uh, group of people on a bus in, in the northern part of Nigeria, Kenya, 
that stood up and protected Christians from al-Shabaab terrorists. I was in Garissa, Kenya, where that attack happened in April. Uh, I was there just two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And I can tell you there, there's an entire region there of Muslim folks, only a portion of which are extremists. But unfortunately, we need, uh, we need to identify that that is a factor. It is a part of their theology. And moderate Muslims are stand, beginning to stand up, and I think they could do so in more mass to say this is not what we want to see happen. And so that people can have freedom of religious expression. I think what part of the story is that, that Christians need to recognize. We, we need to know that the, the Christian faith, when it's in the open marketplace, does fine. We don't have to stop people from having the right to choose what they want to believe. But neither do we want to be stopped from believing the words of Jesus, studying the words of Jesus. So I, I think we will really have to identify that Islamic extremism is the main driver on the world watch list. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, that whole not that we want to get into that whole conversation, but it, but it is interesting that there's sort of that resistance to to using a label of Islamic at all in terms of the, of adding extremists to it. You know, Islamic extremism. Um, but it seems like what you're saying is it is it is important, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but it is important to identify that so that there can be a discussion about theology and and how to stop and how to stop that because if you don't label it, it's hard it's hard to then address it. I would assume. That's right. It, it, it must, the Muslim faith has to address the extremism within its ranks. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, in the persecution of Christians. And as you see from the map and from these countries, it really does span the map. And I think it's it's kind of, I mean, it's very troubling. And I think <clears throat> North Korea is an interesting case. And I know I, I think I asked you this last year, the year before, but just refresh my memory. How do you how do you guys go about doing research in North Korea? Because I would assume that is very difficult. It is very difficult, but as I said, all the research is done at the grassroots level, so we've got to get in there, we've got to talk to believers there. It's a closed system, it's very dangerous to collect data out of there, it's dangerous to be a Christian there. One of the things that we have to identify, and that we say within the data, is there are some things we are not identifying within North Korea. For example, we don't know many people were martyred for the faith in North Korea last year. So when we say set over 7,100 people were martyred for the faith, North Korea is not identified in that number. There are more people martyred than what we're identifying in the study. What we can say is for sure that's the number we know about, and certainly it's more than that. So there are some things we can't identify in North Korea, but we know there are tens of thousands of Christians in prison for the faith. We know what prisons they're in. We're talking to their families. We're, we're, we're help, trying to find ways to help and support them. So North Korea is an exceptionally difficult place. It's getting harder to be a, a person of faith there if that's even possible. And it's, it is exceptionally remarkable that they have managed to stay at the top and left that in for 14 years. That's how difficult it is, it is for believers in North Korea. Well, let me just close with this question for you. What is it that you want people to take away you know, from this list? Because we have this list, we can see the map, we know where these countries are. What's the big takeaway? Well, I think the big takeaway for people is that they need to know that this persecution of Christians is escalating at an unprecedented rate. And it's it's not anecdotal. This is not part of a larger civil war or, or battle of civilizations necessarily in, in a global politics sense. This is an attack on the Christian faith that has been escalating at an unprecedented rate. 
And we need to identify it as such and begin to raise up our voices to be heard on the issue of religious liberty and protecting Christians around the world. We need to make that an issue of, of importance with our leaders and for those people who are people of faith, an issue of prayer. So we need to be standing behind our brothers and sisters in the faith and letting them know we haven't forgotten them. One of the things we hear so much when we're talking to Christians who have been pushed out by the Islamic State and have lost loved ones, is they want to know, does anybody remember us? When I was in Garissa, Kenya, just, week, uh, just a few days ago, as I mentioned, I talked to a pastor. His church was attacked by al-Shabaab terrorists, Islamic extremists. Eighteen people were killed. He was, he's, you know, just a half a mile from the university where Islamic extremists, the al-Shabaab terrorists came in. They separated the student body and killed 148 Christians who were students there. And I said to him, like, what do you want? us to know. And he said, pray for us. Let us know we're not alone. I think that's so important that we don't forget, that we don't look at this just as numbers, but these are real human beings who should have the right to, to choose for themselves what they believe, to study the words of Jesus if they so choose. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time today and uh, appreciate all the work that you guys are doing there. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I hope you get a great day. Thank you. You as well.